Well, good morning, everyone. My name's David. I'm in year 14. Remedial. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 13 for this morning, please. Well, here we are in the last week of the second semester of the most unprecedented year in the history of the college, or that is at least since the last global pandemic. I thought it would be important for us to read Psalm 13 together this morning because I suspect uh, the opening line and the most common refrain is something that is on our minds. How long, O Lord? Analysing a poem reminds me of the beginning of the Robin Williams film, The Dead Poet Society. Is anyone old enough to remember that film? Is anyone old enough to remember Robin Williams? Williams plays a teacher at a posh private school and causes all manner of trouble as he plays Socrates and leads astray the youth of bourgeois North America. Now, if you remember, there's a scene right at the beginning of the film where Williams's character, Mr Keating, is trying to explain to the boys the value of poetry. It goes like this. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we're members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law and business, these are noble pursuits necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. As we bring the academic year to a close this morning, we have a poem from the Bible's greatest prayer book, the Psalms. And perhaps the most simple question we could ask of this poem is, what is this poet's passion? If medicine, law and business are the means of sustaining life, what in Psalm 13 is the poetry for which we live? Let me read it to you. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This poet's passion stems from that most excruciating human experience of time, waiting. How long? How long? How long? How long? The poem's not written for the perpetually impatient. The poet doesn't face the debilitating effects of not knowing whether a text you're sending to announce your lateness will arrive ahead of you. He can't know the agony we go through until someone likes our Instagram selfie or the precipice from which we hang until someone finally comments on the picture of our lunch so that we can be socially and physically fulfilled when we eat it. <laughs> no, the passion of this poet is much deeper 
because his experience is actually profound instead of merely annoying. He's waiting on his creator in the most profound experience of powerlessness and dependence open to the human creature. How long, Lord? This poet's passion is about the most debilitating human experience of sound. Silence. The poet doesn't lack for sound. He lives with a maddening chorus of internal monologues. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? That bittersweet symphony of accusations and protestations that can only be overcome by the oral strafing of an enemy's taunts. I have overcome him. But the silence of God, the silence of God is far worse. For when the voice of the Lord is absent, then life drains away. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Perhaps you know the sounds of a bothered mind. But do you know this silence? The sounds of a bothered mind are everywhere. I'm sure I'm not the only one whose sleep is cut short by thoughts that drive us out of restless dreams. The relentless weight of deadlines to uphold or the insatiable hunger of expectations we meet. Little fears that leech away our energy and nourish our doubts, our regrets, our remorse. That mosquito-like whine at the edge of awareness that makes it almost seem necessary to stop and ask a stranger, does the voice in my head worry you? Of course, then there are, as the psalmist said, the sounds of our enemies. The workplace bully springs to mind. Never a comment without a barb, never a conversation without belittling, never a confrontation without comparison that leaves us somehow naked in the company of our peers. Or perhaps it's worse. A sacred trust is betrayed with the words, I never really loved you. Or, you're such a disappointment. Or, it will be our secret and no one will believe you. You may know any or even all of these awful sounds, but do you know the silence with which the psalmist struggles? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This poet's passion is a perennial human experience, waiting in silence for deliverance from God. We're told that this is a psalm of David, and uh, two of the darkest episodes of waiting in silence for David are his conflict with Saul and his conflict with Absalom, his son. I want to take you first to 1 Samuel 24, and we'll think about, firstly, the conflict with Saul. Let me read to you from 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness near Engedi. So Paul took, Saul took 3,000 of Israel's choice men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. 
David and his men were staying in the back of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut the corner off Saul's robe. He said to his men, I swear before the Lord, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went away. Saul the king is hunting his best general, David, so that he might kill him. And why? Purely out of envy. Saul is jealous of David's success to the point where he seeks to kill him. Saul is the ultimate workplace bully. And even when, David, even when Saul seems to be served up on a platter, David must wait in silence. Wait in silence upon the Lord. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Then, much later in David's life, his son Absalom seeks to usurp the throne from his father. Once again, David becomes a fugitive, a civil war descendant on Israel. And so we read this in 2 Samuel 18. 2 Samuel 18. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out his troops, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishar, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, you must not go out. If we're forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. Only the Lord can deliver David from his son because he cannot raise his hand against his own flesh and blood. So Israel's greatest general sits between the gates and waits for the Lord to bring him justice. Both of these episodes represent the dark hours for David, the poet, as we picture him hiding in a cave or even waiting behind the walls. It's hard not to hear the passion of Psalm 13, is it? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. While the dogs of war bail and yelp, David faces the terrible silence of waiting upon the Lord. And finally, this poet's passion is about an increasingly rare experience for humans in an age of instant gratification. This poem is about the discipline of faith. Our technocratic culture thrives on the idea of instant and unfettered access to our heart's desire. This is the age of the big reveal 
where my house, my dinner, my body is magically revealed and all my dreams come true in an instant. Worse than waiting, worse than silence, is the thought that somehow both of these experiences might actually be good for me. That we might, in fact, have to submit to God and trust his promises for deliverance. Now, that certainly seems to be the satisfaction for David's passions. Look at the end of Psalm 13 there. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. As if out of nowhere, amidst David's agonies, comes the thought, a memory, a realisation falls upon David as he waits. The soothing balm for David's fears, the peace he needs to persevere, is the memory that the Lord is his saviour. It's as if David remembers that he wouldn't be praying if the Lord had not already acted in the past. The satisfaction for David's passion won't be found in the open future of his longings, but in a future shaped by the past act of God on his behalf. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. If you feel the passion of Psalm 13, if you know the sound of silence with which David wrestles, then your future hope is the same as David's. And that means looking to God's saving actions in the past. It's not to us the simplest solution and certainly not the most spectacular. I'm not trying to deceive you into looking on the bright side of some clear and present evil, nor am I trying somehow to shame victims into defeat. I seek only to give you hope through the promise that God, the God of whom we wait, the God whose silence seems so vast, is the same God who waited in silence for us. Or as the writer to the Hebrews describes it in chapter 5, verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Our Lord and Saviour faced the long dark night of God's silence in Gethsemane when he prayed that there might be some other way for God's will to be fulfilled without his death. Yet even as he prayed for himself, he prays for us. Our hope while we wait was borne out in his suffering in silence. His passion is our deliverance and the promise, the reminder, the realisation that God's love is indeed unfailing. Our hearts can rejoice in this salvation. For as Paul told the Corinthians, our momentary light afflictions is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Through the promise of the gospel, we will, one day, sing together the Lord's praise. For in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, surely God has been good to us.